You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Chris Manning from Locked On Cavaliers. And I'm Lucas Hand from Locked On Clippers. So this is obviously a preview of Cavs Clippers Friday night in Cleveland. It's not just a Lockdown Network crossover, it's a SB Nation crossover as Lucas and I both run team sites in the SB Nation uh, family of sites. But Lucas, Clippers right now, what's up with the Clippers? What, what's going on with, with them right now? I, have, I think six straight losses right now. I might have that wrong, but I know they lost five straight at least at one point. Um, and, and have had, it started off really well, but what is going on with them right now? The Clippers are hashtag bad again, Chris. The Clippers <laughs> suck again. Um, no, I, I don't think. I mean, I don't think they really suck. I think they will be fine. I st- like obviously it's early in the season, but what we're seeing is the reality of the team that they've built, which is they built a team around a lot of guys who are particularly injury prone, and so you look to the games that they've lost and like, you know, this last game, the starting lineup was Austin Rivers, Sindari Stornwell, Wesley Johnston at point guard, shooting guard, small forward. None of those uh, guys are, none of those guys are starters at the positions that they're playing at. Like not like none Austin Rivers is maybe like a fringe starting shooting guard, but he's definitely not a starting NBA point guard. And Thornwell and Wesley Johnson are like, solid second unit players on their best days, but they're not starters. And so what you see is, because of the injuries that the Clippers have to Tay Dosich, Patrick Beverly, Daniel Gallinari, they're put in this position where they're relying on them. And honestly, you look at that lineup, you shouldn't expect to be any half-decent NBA team with those three guys all in your starting lineup. And yeah, so, they, so they've been losing. So basically all you can hope for from the Clippers' perspective is can you get something out of this stretch of games where you have these injuries that you can actually build on as far as guys from the second unit stepping up and becoming comfortable? And we're seeing a little bit of that with – Sidarius Thornwell kind of coming into his own. Lou Williams has been amazing so far in, in the early going. And I really hope that either Sam Decker or Montrez Harrell can use these injuries to get some opportunities and impress and earn a rotation spot. But ultimately what it's going to come down to for the Clippers is how good can they be when guys like, especially Beverly and Gallinari are back because right now they just, you know, the team that they are right now isn't a playoff team. The personnel that they have, and the way that they're playing, neither is a playoff team. So the real, the matter, what it's going to come down to is how many games can they have the other guys for, where at least on paper it looks like a playoff team, and then how they play in those games when those guys are back is what's going to matter a little more. But the Clippers aren't the only team that's had these early season struggles, and this is like something that I pointed out in one of my shows earlier this week because ESPN was freaking out. They literally ran the tagline on Sports Nation: Do the Clippers have any chance of making the playoffs? Which I like, they're five and eight. It's not like it's 13 games in the season, but they're not the only team that's having these early struggles. Oklahoma city has also ha- been having early struggles and you're obviously familiar with, with the early struggles going on in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, I know Isaiah Thomas has been injured, but like that can't be it. Like they should still be better than a 500 team, even with Isaiah Thomas out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are, there are flaws with this Cavs team that I think, um, I I, th- I think we'll be there even when he gets back though. I think like you're you know there's not a lot of defensive personnel. I think 
you know, Jay Crowder has not really been, I think he really benefited from the system he played in in Boston and, and there's less structure with this cast team. I think it's one of the things that will might be difficult for Isaiah too, is that there is just kind of less structure and it's not really a slight on Lou. It's just what, what Brad Stevens does it with, with Boston last year was, was very strict and there was, there was a flow and there's a system and, and a way of doing things and the Cavs are a little bit more, um, you know, it's less detailed in that way. Um, and then you look at kind of like Derek Rose is a bad NBA player, right? Like he, and he's been playing yeah. when he's, when he's played and that he's, you know, he's missed eight games at this point, um, out of 15, he, he's like played 30 minutes a game. And when you have that guy at your point guard, like you're, you're playing at a below NBA average level at point guard. And that's like that, that's going to hurt you. And in Wade's had an adjustment period and they've had a lot of starting lineup issues and LeBron, but like. LeBron's been really good, and you wonder if, like, that's, you know, maybe should have made them better, right? Like, maybe that should have elevated them a little bit. But, you know, it, it's interesting because, like, where, whereas the Clippers were really good to start the year, I mean, admittedly against some bad teams, you know, played, I think, the Suns twice in the first yeah. week. The Cavs, ha- in their last four games, I think it's been their best stretch of the year. You know, they lose to the Rockets um, in, in a game, I think they kind of faltered late. And then you had a game, you know, they've won three straight cents, including that that Bonkers game against the against the Knicks, where I I can't take anything of value away from it. So they're they're doing a little bit better, and they're not fixed by any means. But I I think you've seen some improvements over the last couple of games, and at least in in that sense, you have some concerns. So you you wonder if things are going to still kind of change game to game a little bit, but. Um, I think they're at least like kind of moving in the right direction in in a way that they weren't you know, this time last week. Yeah, and I will say, you know, it's kind of similarly for the Clippers. Even though they've been losing these games, they haven't been, like, getting blown out in any of them. They got blown out against the Warriors earlier on in the season. But in this six-game losing streak, they haven't had, like, a blowout loss. Every game has been at least somewhat competitive in the fourth quarter, which I think maybe is, you know, and and they've had – this is not me, like, sticking up for them because – especially like as far as defensive intensity goes early in games, they've been atrocious. Like they have not shown up to start some games. They went down 20 to Miami. They were down 20 going into the fourth quarter against Miami. We're able to fight back and make it a game. Um, and then again, this week against Philadelphia, they were just, it was like layup lines. The defensive intensity was non-existent, but even despite that, they have shown like a little bit of resilience, like just looking for a silver lining. They're getting back into games they haven't been getting blown out. I don't think it's very common that you see a team have a losing streak that stretches like this, like six games, and none of them are like by 20 or more points. And so maybe, I, I don't know, I'm looking for silver linings. Like maybe that's something that's a little encouraging, the way that they're losing, that they're fighting a little bit. And maybe once they figure it out, you know, it shows that, that they're at least trying. Was there something they were doing early in the season when they were winning games and, and looked like they had, like you know, and were, were playing just better basketball and, and just looked like they were playing better? That has changed since then. You know, so the one thing that I really remarked on early in the season was they were just everywhere in terms of their team defense, their rotations. A lot of um, like they were getting beat, help and recover, jump switching. Great, great team defensive stuff that we haven't seen as much, but maybe that's just a matter of you can't keep up that kind of intensity for 82 games. Um, obviously, they are suffering a little bit missing, you know, talented guys. But even early in the season when they were being, you know, quote unquote, more successful, they were beating bad teams. And their, like, you know, best win, a win in Portland, came on a buzzer beater from Blake Griffin. Is Portland kind of at the same tier talent-wise that maybe you would put a team like 
Miami or Philadelphia because the Clippers lost in the waning seconds to both the Heat and the Sixers. So maybe it's just a matter of scheduling. Maybe, you know, I do think they will be marginally better when they get these other guys back, but their most successful moment in their hot streak was a one-point win against the Trailblazers. So maybe we shouldn't be shocked that they have, you know, a four-point loss to the Sixers and a two-point loss to the Heat. Maybe that's just right in the region where the Clippers are. Is the Blake Griffin three-point shooting thing that was kind of talked about early on, is that is is that still a thing? And, and our teams are at least respecting him in a different way than they might have. Yeah, yeah, so that's legit. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me as far as like what is – percentage is at the moment but his attempts have been high his efficiency has been good and we're starting to see the very beginnings of teams adjusting to him so i think he's still attempting at like four or five threes a game which is way above where you want him to be but i think it's important for him to to be doing this in the sense that he's establishing that shot mm-hmm. early in the season and as it gets going as the season keeps on going teams will respect it more and most more. So we're seeing some possessions where teams will literally leave him the same way that, you know, we're so used to seeing them leave him for that pick and pop from 20 feet away because they, they like that shot. We're still seeing some teams leave him and he's getting those three point looks off. But sometimes just a few possessions here and there, we're seeing someone step out, put a hand up and that gives Blake the extra space going to the basket. And that's really the key part of him being a three-point shooter because his release isn't quick. He's never going to be like at Kevin Love's level as a shooter. But what he can do if he can just make that set shot on a slow release is he can force defending bigs to actually come out and put a hand up, and then he can beat any big man off the dribble if they're actually playing him close. It's when they give him that buffer that he has a harder time. So the three-point shooting is legit. And as soon as the more and more teams start to respect it, the more and more it's going to open up other parts of his game. And it's going to force teams to bring additional help defenders to Blake Griffin, um, which isn't something that we see that we've seen a ton in the past. We've seen double teams in the post, but other than that, we don't really see him beating guys off the dribble and drawing tons of help in the paint and kicking out a ton during his career. I think that's something that's going to develop a lot more this season because of that three point shot. As someone who watches Kevin Love a lot, like I think you can even see with him, who's who's you know significantly slower than than Blake Griffin, and yeah. he's not as athletic as Blake Griffin. When he pump fakes from the three point line, guys bite on it, and it, it opens up a chance for him to drive. He draws fouls that way. I'm uh, pulling up Blake Griffin's numbers just so the listeners have an idea. This year, he's shooting 5.8 threes per game per Basketball Reference, making 2.1 a game. He's shooting. Uh, 36% on threes. The the last year, which was the highest number of threes he took ever per game, was 1.9. His overall shooting percentage is down to 43.4, so that's 6% lower than last year, um, below the f- the 51.5% for his career. But he's getting to the line just a little bit more than he has the last couple of years, which is which is kind of a good sign. I, I would I would guess even if it's marginally more and. It, it adds at least it adds a dimension to the offense and, and I imagine with Chris Paul like you kind of need Blake to do different stuff than he's done or at least attempt to do it yeah I mean you need every dimension that you can get especially because you look at even the better guys that the Clippers have added aren't necessarily guys who are going to do a ton of creating for themselves like Patrick Beverly is a very good player he Pat, we know Beverly is a good shooter he can finish plays he can drive but he's not necessarily a guy who is going to be creating a ton for himself or when he does do it, a lot of times it isn't super efficient um, and he ends up with turnovers. 
So that's where it's useful to put the ball in Blake's hands more. And like you said, adding that extra dimension to the offense, Chris Paul is like 87 dimensions. So when you lose him, you kind of need every dimension you can get from wherever you can get it. Um, and Blake stepping up his game and sort of evolving has been big for the Clippers this year. The field goal percentage is down. Um, I think a big part of that is just that the three-point attempts are up. Um, but, yeah, yeah I mean, it's sense. also it's just a volume. It's a volume thing, and it's a defensive attention thing. You know, Before, defenses probably paid more attention to Chris Paul than they did to Blake Griffin. Now you know who you're paying attention to coming into a game. You know who the number one guy on your scouting report is going to be. Let's let's switch to the Cavs a little bit. Um, what, what questions do you have about about this this Cavs group as constructed right now, and what the Clippers are going to see um, on on Friday in Cleveland? Yeah, so I mean, I was really kind of hyped for the Cavs getting Jay Crowder because I thought it was going to be the type of thing where it gave them so many different lineup possibilities in terms of you know LeBron, Isaiah Thomas. Shumpert, Kyle Korver, now Jay Crowder playing some small ball or even playing like big bully ball with, you know, like LeBron, J.R. Smith, Jay Crowder, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. But, I mean, I haven't caught the Cavs a lot this year, but I've heard like less than stellar reviews about how Jay Crowder is doing. Is there like, what, what's the deal here? Is there is there issues with Jay Crowder in Cleveland? Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting question because I think – I think if you look at his numbers for the year, his overall numbers, he's he's shooting, he's down a thirty percent from three. Um, he's not, he's shooting, you know, under forty percent right now. He's he's looked a little bit lost, but where I think he's actually gotten a little bit better, and at least recently, has been since the halftime of the Dallas Mavericks game, which was last Saturday. He he had a really bad end to the Rockets game where last Thursday, where he he kind of botched two rebounds at the end of the game in the final in the back to back moments really and it gave the the rockets the chance that they needed to get a, to get the game what was end of the being the the game ceiling basket when that ha- that was just, he was bad and then you know kind of muddles through the first half of the Dallas game second half of the of the Mavs game he's more engaged on defense he stopped settling for threes and it started driving to the rim and getting fouls he was, he became more engaged on defense and you saw the crowd or the Cavs wanted the next game was like again like kind of a weird game. He had he had moments of that as well. Thought he was good against the Hornets, kind of doing a lot of the same things. He's still kind of looking not quite what he was in Boston. Um, I you know he's not shooting particularly well so from three. Although his his shot looks more comfortable now. His defense has kind of been a little bit worse than than his reputation would say. But I, I some Boston fans had said that was going to be the case anyway. That 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 was a real thing. I think he, I think he my theory with him is that he's adjusting to a situation where like he's not asked to try really hard every possession and if and if he is a guy that is based off of like okay how hard do I have to try like how much effort do I have to put in that's a, that was a big part of what he was um that has not been a thing for him right like that is that has been it's not it's the opposite of that in the Cavs a lot of the time and as they've started to play harder he's looked better um I, I think he's you still need to get his three point shot right I think you know his rebounding is going to become a big thing, and he's he's not really doing that well right now. He's down two point two rebounds less than last year for a variety of reasons. But I think he's looked better of late. But his overall body work so far has not been good. So you guys have you know in addition, Jay Crowder is obviously one of the bigger additions that you guys made. But the Cavs also played kind of Doc Rivers' favorite game, um, in far as adding like 
past their prime guys. Um, that, which which, that which I mean makes sense it. because Ty Lue is a is the the way he coaches and, yeah. and, and and like it reminds me like the way he rides guys that are really hot, the way that he trusts guys like Jeff Green that he knows and like has a familiarity with. It's like he's not exactly a Doc clone, but there the Doc Rivers influence with Ty Lue is is so there in in a way that I think maybe we don't talk about enough in terms of evaluating Lue. Like he's the the rub on the. Like he he's more like Doc Rivers probably than any other coach in the NBA. That's interesting. That's interesting. But but so I mean you have these guys. You've got Calderon, Derrick Rose, Jeff Green. Um, I might be forget. I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting you know other veteran bargain bin guys that, that you guys have had. Oh, Dwayne Wade is there too as well. But so like as far as these guys go, we we see it with the Clippers or we've seen it with the Clippers in years prior, not really this season, where they end up adding three or four of these guys. And normally one of them ends up being like a decent contributor and the other guys all look like grandfathers. Is there anyone from that group who is maybe a little better than like the teasing that they get on basketball Twitter? Cause I know like Dwayne Wade obviously can still play basketball, but he's been getting, he's been getting, you know, written pretty hard on Twitter. And Jeff Green is another guy who is like, is pretty bad and gets absolutely decimated on Twitter, but he still like does bring something to an NBA rotation. So are any of these guys like really contributing in a positive way where you're happy to see them there? Or are they all kind of situations where you feel like you wish they would just get some young talent in and stop, you know, retreading guys who are past their prime. You're talking to someone who wishes they would just play Chitty Osman and just like ride the young guy and just like give him minutes. But, um, I do. Th- I'll, I'll say this. I, I think Calderon, like after the Orlando game that they had early in the season, he's never going to play again. Like he's just—he was so bad, just dead. Like he's dead in the water. Um, I think Wade, like he's complicated because he's had a couple of really good games, and then he's had some games where he hasn't shot well, but he's done some other stuff well. So I think he's kind of been a mixed bag. But I think he's more been more good than bad. Even even though he's, he's still kind of like he has to get used to not being not just not being a lead guy, but he has to get used to like screening off ball and stuff, and that's going to take some time. Jeff Green's been good. Like I, I I'm not a huge believer in him. Like I you know I, I think like him and Derek Williams. Like if you just if if you wanted to just like put them in a room together and then like put the hand them to like hand them to play the Spider Man meme on like on TV screens around them, like it would it would be it would make sense because they're kind of like the same in a lot of ways. I mean I. I've always thought that Jeff Green had all-star potential. I think he could make it in the East this year. What do you think? I mean, the way he's playing right now, he's 27 <laughs> points, you know, against the Rockets. Um, the East is terrible, but like the way the Cavs are 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 using him and Lou, and it's worth this is a thing with Lou. Like Lou coached him in Boston. Lou believes in this guy, um, and trusts this guy, and like believes in his potential, and and that's there. But the way they're using him has kind of maximized him. I think they're not asking him to dribble at all on offense. Like they're not really asking him to be anything more than someone who cuts and gets to the room. If you go um, and look what he did against the Hornets, he just had plays where he was his job was to roll. His job was to to move and like when Frank Kaminsky lost and they just find with passes and he dunks. Defensively for me has been been the surprise with him. He's guarded one th- once through fives. He's played some small really small ball five and he's been good. Like he switched out on a Harden and, and fought Harden pretty well. He's he's defended point guard at times. They had him on Kemba Walker and with the lineups they had the other night and he's he's been good. Um, I generally think like Jeff Green's been a really pleasant surprise and. 
you know, he's been probably like a top five most consistent cap all year, which which says something about like what the Cavs are kind of going through and, and where they're at. But like he's been good, and I think he out of everyone they signed this summer that or, and acquired this summer so far that has actually played, he's maybe been the best guy and the most consistent guy. Which again says something about what what has happened with with Crowder not being that good and Isaiah not being back and Rose being a disaster. But like he's he's been a pleasant surprise, which I know Clippers fans are probably like. Like, oh, why could, like, you know, we traded the first round pick for him and the Cavs are paying him the minimum. And, like, Jeff Green is Jeff Green. He's never going to be perfect, but the Cavs are getting something out of him and, and he's he's looked good. All right. So we're looking out for Jeff Green. Um, Jeff Green's going to drop, like, so, 75 points, like, in this game. And just, like, it'll be the Doc Rivers special. And he'll be like, I, I try to trade a first round pick from after the game and it'll just be a thing. Yeah. So then the Clippers will trade another first round pick to get him back. <laughs> It's funny that you say, like, they're putting him in a position to succeed because they're not asking him to dribble. Because I've always thought that, like, that was, like, the such a indictment of a basketball player when, like, you can't even dribble. And, you know, the Clippers have Wesley Johnson. They've had him for the last few years. And Wesley Johnson is, like, the king of not dribbling. I think he has, like, the least dribbles per minute of any small forward ever. You could play, you could play a Clippers drinking game where you take a shot every time Wesley Johnson dribbles the basketball – and you would not have cracked open the bottle by the end of the season. So that's like, <laughs> it's funny to me that they're using Jeff Green in that way because the Clippers tried to use him in such a different way where they were having him in like the mid post pack, like backing down guys and kicking the ball out. It was very strange and it did not work very well. But, you know, as much as it might hurt that they traded for him and he was unsuccessful and now he's playing well somewhere else, it is always nice to see guys playing well. And Jeff is, you know, a really good guy. So it's good to see that. Um, so knowing how the Cavaliers have been playing lately, it's funny, you know, because from our perspective, from the Clippers fan perspective, you look on the schedule and you're playing poorly and a game in Cleveland is coming up and it's like, oh man, this is a loss, right? Like Cleveland's always really good. LeBron, you're going to Cleveland. They never lose. One of the best teams in the NBA. But knowing how Cleveland has played so far this season and how they've played against different levels of teams, what's like your prediction for this game? Friday night do you think that it's something where because honestly to me even knowing that Cleveland has struggled early in the season it just doesn't feel like a game where the Clippers have a ton of hope um we don't know right now if Beverly and Gallinari are going to be back but I'm assuming that they are not going to play so if the Clippers bring out that lineup with Rivers Thornwell and Wesley Johnson again I just don't see it being much of a competitive basketball game do you think that the Cavs have been you know, I don't want to like put you on the spot of like jinxing it, but do you think the Cavs have been bad enough that this could actually be competitive against that kind of lineup? Or do you think that even though they've struggled, they're still solid enough that they should be able to take care of it pretty easily? It'll, it'll depend on how seriously they take those guys. Like, is there enough from what, um, you know, like, is, is it something from like Blake or like whoever is that is like actually going to DeAndre or someone that like elevates them in a way that, that really makes them push like is, is there something that that will do that for them because if it's like the hornets like they, they just got it they got enough fight out of that game where they did it and it maybe you are seeing this team be a little bit more engaged in that way right like they're they're going to be a little bit more kind of involved in what's going on and are going to like actually take some of these games seriously and try to get into a, into a rhythm uh, maybe we're actually seeing them and maybe friday is a test case for that my guess is that there will be moments where they're depending on who plays where they're just not all that into it um and if that's the case like that's that'll happen like that's that's part of it and you know it's it's what the Cavs do but 
yeah, I think you know they're coming home, and if they're feeling just a bit more engaged, I think they should. They if if they're kind of playing the lineups, you have like I, I like who on the Clippers is guarding LeBron, you know, like Wesley you know, Johnson. <laughs> yeah, which you know, I mean, you know, like he can fight, but like there's, I mean, there's it's a joke, limitations. But it's also the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's like limitations there, and you know, like maybe some Derek Rose might be back, and if if that's the case, um, you know that that'll probably hurt the Cavs a little bit because they've had, they've struggled to kind of acclimate him. But you know, I, I, let's see. The, the first quarter would probably be a good indicator, but then again, like you, if they can gear it up and find something that works, maybe they maybe they take it up and not check it against the Knicks later on and end up pulling something out. Man, a potential Derrick Rose versus Austin Rivers matchup. We're gonna see a lot of. I'm, I, I'm gonna like turn off the game if that happens. Like, I'll just like, <laughs> be like, look, like, I like, I'll TV this and finish it later. But I need to like go take a break. Like, I need to reevaluate what I'm what I'm doing with my Fridays. All right, Chris. So we hit on, on everything I want to talk about. Do you have anything else Clipper related? Just give me the the one thing about this game that you're kind of aside from what we would talk about. What do you What are you kind of looking for? What is something you'd like to see so, the Clippers do a little bit better? The one thing I'm looking for, honestly, because of because of how the Clippers are injured right now, I don't think you're going to learn much about them as a team from a game like this, unless they get guys back. But what I'm really looking for is individual performances from second unit guys who are going to be getting more opportunities than they normally get. So you look at a guy like Sam Decker, a guy like Montrez Harrell, who might be getting minutes when they were not getting minutes when the Clippers were fully healthy. Can any of these guys prove that they're capable and can bring something positive to the team so that they can potentially stay in the rotation long-term once guys get healthy? Because, I mean, Decker and Harrell were both rotation players on a better on a team that was better than the Clippers last year. And the Clippers this year are worse than the Clippers were last year. So it kind of figures that they're probably good enough to help you in some way. It's just a matter of them getting those opportunities, getting comfortable in the system, and proving to Doc Rivers that they can help, which they obviously haven't done yet. So that's what I'm really looking for. Not so much, like, I don't think you can really evaluate Austin Rivers based on a game like this because he's being asked to be the lead guard, and he's not that, he's not, he just isn't that. It's a position where he's going to fail from. I'm not sure you can evaluate even guys like Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan because they're not playing in the same kind of environment that they will be playing in. You know, if, the, if this is your roster, you're not going to make the playoffs. So on a potential playoff roster, once you've got guys back, then you can start evaluating how guys play within that system. I think what's really most important from a Clippers perspective, even though it's not something that's especially beneficial to Cavs fans watching the game, is how second unit players perform and can potentially earn spots in the rotation even once guys start to come back. From a Cavs fan perspective, I'd say probably the thing to watch is Blake Griffin because he's just amazing and he's so fun. It's kind of like, no matter what over the years, the thing to watch against the Cavaliers or the Heat or the Cavaliers against has always been LeBron because it's always just witnessing such brilliance. Um, so, I mean, Blake Griffin has been at that level this season. Um, and then Lou Williams has been super fun to watch also. So that should be a good time as well. Yeah, I forgot about Lou Williams, uh, that he was on this team. Uh, actually, totally had forgotten about that. But Yeah, he's he's really exceeded my expectations. Because like, I was a big... Um, I was a big like Jamal Crawford critic when Jamal Crawford was a Clipper. And I kind of in my head was figuring Lou Williams for Jamal Crawford would be like for like. And it just hasn't, that hasn't been the case. Like Lou has, first of all, stylistically been different, but also just been so much better, like so much more efficient. His style um, is just something that's much more appeasing to me as a viewer. So I've been really, really happy with Lou Williams so far, which probably isn't something that I expected or a lot of people who are used to listening to me talk about basketball expected either.
Yeah. <laughs> Lou Williams, what a guy. <clears throat> I mean, he is kind of like this. <laughs> the Cavs could honestly use him like more than Derrick Rose, but um, they have they have Derrick yeah. Rose. So that's where, I, that's, I would much that's where we're have at. Lou Williams than Derrick Rose. Exactly. I got to stop slandering Derrick Rose on podcasts. That's been like a thing. But uh, this is... <laughs> This has been the Lockdown Cavs Locked on Clippers crossover. Uh, you can check out the whole network, all the pods if you want to prepare for other teams. You can go back and look at Lucas' old episodes, and as the Cavs get closer to playing the Pistons and other teams, and the Clippers have other games coming up, check out those shows. Uh, you get Lucas, just have everyone real quick where they can find find you on Twitter. Yeah, my Twitter is at LucasJHan, and you can check out my website, ClipsNation.com. The Twitter for that is at ClipsNationSBN. Yeah, go follow that. Go read Clips Nation if you want to learn about the Clippers and, and support that SB Nation site as well. Um, as always, find Locked on Cavs on Twitter at Locked on Cavs. Go find follow for the sword at for the sword, and you can follow me on Twitter at CWM Rights. Uh, for Locked on Cavs, we'll be back tomorrow. Lucas will have another show in the coming days, I'm sure, as well. But this has been the Locked on Cavs, Locked on Clippers crossover. Enjoy tonight's game, everybody.